It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 113 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. We forgot to mention yesterday that we sauntered on over, their pinkies in the air, to the NorCal Pirate Festival. Well, over the weekend. I can't speak for Heather, but I had a great time seeing everyone sporting their best pirate attire. That classic pirate look from the 1960s Star Trek original series. A Klingon. (laughs) Nothing says buccaneer like a Klingon. Maybe it was a Klingon space pirate, but I wasn't expecting that. I saw a Trekkie. I'm a Trekkie, but I don't cosplay. But I did appreciate the Klingon there. And I almost had to bow to him because I thought, you know what? You're an individual. You stood up for what you believe, and you made it happen there. I didn't expect the witch either. How dare you? You stole my thunder. Of course there was a traditional pointy-headed witch, which is oddly appropriate given the number of tricks and treats to be had there. And the euphemisms. They ran rampant. Let me just say, I did have to get some captain's nuts. They were sweet, like kind of sugary nuts. I want to tell you, that was quite the conversation I had with that lady. <laughs> Did you see the lady with the cat ears? There was a lady with cat ears there. <laughs> but seriously, those were just a few of the yeah. off characters I saw. Everyone else was really in period pieces and made for quite a spectacular day. Oh, yeah, actually. it was awesome. So many great and elaborate costumes or clothes, I should say. Maybe I should say that. And it was so hot. Oh, you were going to go hot? I, You know, oh. I wasn't even going to mention it, but... You just had to bring it up, didn't you? Yeah, it was hot. There was not actually a bad act in the festival, which spanned everything from shanties to acting out a piece, imagining what it was like attending Blackbeard's wake, a post-funeral celebration, to even Pirate Rock, which was, I just really liked the whole thing. And thanks to a tip from previous guest and listener Adam Liebrick Johnson, who is also a member of the world-famous Poxy Boggards, he told us to check out the Merry Wives of Windsor, and indeed we did. And they dazzled on the stage, for sure. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Of course, there was the cannon demonstration and a ship-to-shore battle that, shall I say, rang my ears. In a moment of sheer brilliance, I thought, what the hell? Let me see if I can actually get a video of the action by making my way through the crowd to get closer. I didn't get all the way to the gate. I didn't want to be rude because I am tall and I can just kind of hover above other people to make that happen. There was this damn pole on the way. I was really irritated with the pole. (laughs) But yeah, it definitely worked. And then I think the big gun took me at least 50 notches closer to being deaf. That thing, man, that thing just rang my ears, like I said. No tomorrow. Then when I watched and listened to the video I got on my phone, it sounded like a little pop. <laughs> it sounded like a pop gun. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> the shockwave and sound from that muzzle knocked my face to the ground. Actually had to pick up my face. <laughs> Yet the video is a little pop. I'm like, well, you're kidding me. <laughs> that thing could have shattered my phone, yet 
what is going on? My ear is still plugged. <laughs> After all that, we did forget to also pack the recorder when we headed to the festival. So no audio tidbits to share. That's my bad. Yep. So I just had to endure food and pirate festivities. Oh, man, it was rough. I could have been doing yard work <laughs> in the heat or any of that. Instead, drinking lemonade and hanging out. Yeah, it's very cool. Because it's a family show. I said lemonade. Oh, well, next time we'll have to do that. And I know we should probably see Adam and his crew doing something. So we should yeah. definitely see when the next one is for that. Yep. But I definitely need to go ice my ears shortly to stop the bleeding. So are you ready to get this minute breakdown underway? Let's go. I was so close to actually wanting to insert like I, I can't hear after that. But I heard so many people doing that bit at the actual festival where I was right up near the gate. <laughs> Everybody's going, what'd you say? And so I thought, yeah. why would I bring it up? <laughs> so instead of doing it, I just told you about all the other people that were doing it. See, I was smart and kept my distance from the cannons. Well, no one said off. you had to sit in the car. I didn't keep that far of a distance. Yeah. And I didn't even bother to roll down the windows for you either. But we were like on that um, pathway and it was shaking the whole pathway. Oh, that thing was brutal. Yeah. It was awesome. But man, that thing. <laughs> man, that blasted me. I told you, I, I had to pick my face up. That's how loud it was. Instead, I stood next to the rope next to the pirates. That's not a bad place to be. No. In the previous minute, Governor Swan, peering out from the stern of the Dauntless, shakes his head and asks, Oh, what have you done? Referring to Elizabeth implementing an all-too-prison bedsheet escape rope cliché, as well as realizing no dignified sailor would ever tie a longboat to the back of a ship. <laughs> Meanwhile, the I'm-feeling-lucky Gillette spying on a couple of wayward lasses gets a rude awakening when the Moonlight Beauties give him one hell of a bony peep show. At the literal drop of a hat... The pirate on naval action commences, while Captain Barbosa, Clubba, and Jacoby keep a weather eye on that antique shopping Jack Sparrow. Drats! Made in China. <laughs> Minute 113 begins with Captain Barbosa finishing his line, You're a hard man to predict. Jack responds, Me? I'm dishonest. And a dishonest man you can always trust to be dishonest. Honestly, it's the honest ones you want to keep your watch out for. The minute ends with Barbosa and Captain Jack Sparrow sword fighting. Barbosa pulls close to Jack. You're off the edge of the map, mate. Here there be monsters. Meanwhile, Elizabeth Swan rose to the Black Pearl and begins to climb aboard. Her head can be seen popping up through the cannon port before the minute ends. It's not a day of random thoughts. That was yesterday, and I'm all recovered from pirate festivities, so... You have order today? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's not go too far So, here. order amongst chaos. I think those are opposites. I don't know what the hell you're doing. You're like pulling some kind of Jack dishonest, honest thing going. I told you my ears are bleeding. Do you really have to throw in confusion? My head's still ringing. Jeez. So we talked about Barbosa maybe having some doubts about Jack's true intentions. Or if he really did let the grudge go in favor of treasure and his ship. So I won't go down that road too much right now. But he does round out that thought in this minute with, you're a hard man to predict. That's what's interesting. Because on that true intentions idea... Jack immediately starts this interesting dialogue about who you can and cannot trust. So Barbosa's putting all this scrutiny on Jack, the dishonest one who he knows is a trickster, right? Yeah. And who always has something up his sleeve, so to speak. And that's why he keeps a weather eye on him. Jack knows this is what's up, actually. And he knows that's how to play the game. That's what he has been doing this whole time. And when he orchestrated the separation of Barbosa's men to attack the Dauntless and then to get Will Turner and himself close to the treasure chest. So this is all part of Jack's big scheme, although there have been some minor fluctuations in that plan. 
But what Jack is really doing here, it's like a double meaning thing when he's talking about that. Uh So what Jack is really doing here is he's speaking not to Barbosa, but to Will. It's a code telling him to get ready. You never know when the honest person is going to do something incredibly stupid. That's Will. Yes. That's the honest person. That's the one who's going to do something stupid. That's our rash Will Turner. That's the one that's been doing something stupid. Exactly. Didn't I just say that? No. Oh, okay. And Will sees that this is really the setting up of things or setting things up for that opportune time to end the curse. So he's just speaking a new language. It's like Jack is speaking Pig Latin to Will. And Will understands it. And Will understands it. That's because he's really close to Rosie the donkey. And it's kind of close to farm animals. Because Rosie learned Pig Latin from pigs when she was on a farm. So that's how that all works. Wow. We also got some backstory on this. I do have a lot of backstory on that. That's crazy. When you're like partners with Rosie the donkey, you get all kinds of ins and outs on the movie and the behind the scenes stuff. Not like partners. Like, how dare you? You were giving me the eyeballs. (laughs) I didn't say anything. You went there and that's ridiculous. That has crossed. That has crossed the line. I didn't say anything. No animals were harmed in the making of this movie. And I want to say no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast, but I don't know about you right now. I didn't say anything. You did it. I I didn't do anything, and I'm not admitting to doing anything. You said You it. tried to put me on the spot just now. That's no, ridiculous. I didn't. You tried to get me to admit to something, and how dare you? Admit <laughs> to what? Rosie and the donkey and I are just friends. That's all it is. My God, woman. That's Scott from the 18th century coming out again, saying woman. Just for the effect of the show, folks. Just for the effect of the show. We got a great email from Caitlin discussing this very quote and how if you break it down with Jack, and it can really just keep you going in circles. If you really start to try and think about this, dishonest, you know, trust him to be dis- It's like all these honest, you have to, it's almost like pluses and minuses when adding or s- subtracting and multiplying. How many minuses were in there? How many negatives? And, you know, is it a positive number, or negative number? Now you know what I'm saying. But going in circles is really a perfect description because Jack is that trickster character. He's the one that keeps us guessing the whole time. It's not just about, well, it's not just about all this getting the Black Pearl back stuff. He even has tall tales about his escape from Rum... He even has tall tales about his escape from Rum Runner's Isle. Some story he told to Mulroy and Murtog. How dare you make fun of that? I couldn't get it out. You know what? I'm sorry. Walk the plank. You hurt my Rum Runner's I, I, Rosie the Donkey feeling. I was about ready to help you. I got it. I said Rum Runner. Rum Runner's Isle. Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> Like I was saying, though, some story he told to Mulroy and Murtaugh about being a chief. Then we have Elizabeth asking, are all the stories that she read about him true or false or exaggerated? So what are his intentions? That's the circle. He's always keeping us guessing. Honest, dishonest. We know that he is always going to stretch the truth. That's why Norrington says it's Jack Sparrow who said it when he's talking to Mulroy and Murtaugh, too. Yeah. About trusting him. He's keeping everybody guessing. He's even keeping Barbosa guessing here. It's always going in circles, just like she said. Right. So thanks, Caitlin. Yep. Pretty cool email. It was a neat He's little a thing to talk talker. about. He's a circle talker. A couple of things I enjoyed in this minute more than everything else we saw. And I bet you can't guess. When Jack slices the feathers off of Barbosa's How dare you ruin hat? my thing? <laughs> yeah. Rude? You said I bet you you couldn't guess. Yeah, so. you're supposed to say no. and then I'll, I could, <laughs> Dang it. It's funny in that Jack says, ha ha. And then it quickly comes back to reality when he realizes that was not a lethal blow, but just 
and irritation, and Barbosa comes after him then. But the best part is the symbolic nature of it. He cuts the feathers off of his hat, which is like demoting him from Admiral. Think Chopping about that. Chopping him down a size. Yeah, Thunder Stealer. <laughs> <laughs> the Admiral position he promised him in their accord is now, is gone. now gone, and maybe even demoting him from Captain of the Black Pearl. Yes. And on that same thought, he knows Barbosa is fond of a large hat, that whole ego thing and position of authority, that whole symbol uh-huh. for him. And now Jack cuts it down to size, as Heather just said. Boy, you're very, you have an eye for these symbols. It's very poignant and telling. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. So yeah, that's one of my things that I liked about that particular minute is really that whole symbolic nature of the hat cutting scene, which just seems so like you could just float by that and not even really pay attention to it as just part of the whole swashbuckle sword fighting thing. Yeah. But I really did think it was pretty cool because Jack really was almost like proud of himself when he oh, yeah. did that. He thought it was just so funny and he got him because that was really a bruise to his ego in a way. Right. And Barbosa was a bit shocked. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not supposed so- to hit his hat. It's like there's boundaries and the hat was one of them and Jack just crossed that line. Yeah. Too bad Barbosa shouldn't have been marooning Jack on the island and then he wouldn't have to worry about his hat. Exactly. Moral to that story, kids. Don't maroon somebody on an island and expect your hat to come back Twice. unscathed. Yeah. The second one, and I'm not even going to ask you now because I'm so irritated with the last one. <laughs> Barbosa has a great line that I may venture could be my line of the week. Really? Oh, yeah. I think I may have found Tuesday. it. Tuesday. I may have already found Without it Without even on seeing Tuesday. the rest of the Without week. Without even seeing the rest of the week. Wow. I may have already found it. You're going to scroll through the list to see if you can find it. I've got it right in front of me. Well, you don't even know what it is. Do you want me to no, say it? No, I don't, because I want to be able to, want to drop it. <laughs> You're off the edge of the map, mate. Here there be monsters. Is that the one you thought it was? Yeah. Rude. It's such a double meaning line that links us to real maps and ideas of the Golden Age and earlier. Dare I say a symbol for the second time this minute. It's a symbol minute. Yesterday was random thoughts. Today's symbolism. Wow. Yeah, wow. This is deep, heavy stuff here. But it is. Off the map, uncharted territory is kind of what I'm getting out of this. Barbosa really uses this line just spot on. And I think it's just so creative. It's like creative writing right here going on. And those writers, they're so awesome. <laughs> so this whole idea of off the map and uncharted territory, they, as in all of them, all the characters here, Jack, Elizabeth, Will, Barbosa, and we could read the cast list to you, but we're not going to do that, are in this uncharted territory. All of them are in some kind of uncharted territory. Will is now doing something that he hasn't been doing. He's now a pirate. Elizabeth is in a pirate adventure. Barbosa is now facing adversaries that may dethrone him from the Captain of the Black Pearl. Jack is trying to get it back. And, you know, so it's all this. They're all kind of in these uncharted territories thing. And they're on an island that an nobody else island. can find. Exactly. Something that really has not been seen, not including expanded universe stuff that was written afterwards. But supernatural and curses are now a part of this world, and it's new to all of them as well. Yeah. So that's another uncharted thing. The Pirates of the Caribbean universe in Curse of the Black Pearl went from there's no supernatural or maybe some minimal stuff that we talked about, like with the compass. Yeah. But in general, there's nothing supernatural happening, and that's why nobody believed in curses and thought that it was real, all that kind of jazz. Now, they're in uncharted territory because they have entered a world where all of this stuff is possible and real. And yes, 
It includes monsters, too. Barbosa and the crew are not just skeletons and cursed, but they are pirates that left their captain marooned on an island to die twice. They also sent one of their own to Davy Jones's locker, plus any other untold crimes to get Aztec gold back. Sinking yeah. ships, killing people, almost killing kids. We almost saw one kid die, Will, right? Yeah. So he could have possibly died. There's maybe other kids on board. Right. So these guys are monsters in that sense, as well as skeleton monsters. Yes. As I said, the real world also comes into play with this whole Uncharted Territories, edge of the map symbolism. So according to Dory Klein of the Boston Public Library. Yeah, the Boston you, Public you Library. You know Dory Klein? No, I actually went there. So I flew all the way from California to go there just to get a little bit of information from her. Because wow. I knew that she was an expert in this kind of stuff. Okay. So in the mid... Mini me. <laughs> in the medieval and renaissance period in Europe, people didn't really know what was out there. So your corpus of knowledge came from folklore and the Bible. And so in that world, monsters could very well be real. And they were just part of this supernatural landscape. So when a map maker didn't know what was out there... He might just plop in some little creature into the map to signify, I don't know what's here, but it could very well be a dangerous creature. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. Sea monsters have mostly disappeared from modern maps, obviously. Mostly, though. Yeah, every once in a while you can probably get some that are kind of cool remnants of the days of past, basically. Okay. It's, it's, it's more creative now. But they actually started to fade away. From this whole meaning of this is unknown, there could be something there, really toward the end of the 17th century as navigational and printing technology improved and they started really recording some of this stuff. At the end of the 1600s, you really didn't see much of that anymore. Okay. It's still something that was going on and some of this still lingered into the 1700s, into the yeah. 18th century. So it wasn't unheard of, which is why Barbosa brings it up and which is cool because... If you look at some old maps, they do have some of these crazy sea creatures or just even creatures on land or this is a landmass that we don't know or we suspect is here. So they drop these things in from mermaids to Crackings. serpents. Yeah. To people with goat horns that are maybe on some of these lands that they didn't know. There was even one that she was talking about that was pretty crazy of this guy with horns who was actually cooking a woman in like this cauldron. And so it could get really wow. weird. But for the people at the time, they actually thought like, okay, this is pretty scary stuff out there. Yeah. And so they incorporated this. So on the edge of the map, too, that they would have some of these monsters or things that were also decorations and stuff that were at the edge to signify kind of uncharted territories and stuff. So it really has this cool meaning about it, which is why Barbosa brings it up. So it has all of this kind of symbolism of reality, what they would see in maps, because yeah. that's why there are monsters. Edge of the map. Yeah. There's monsters here. Yeah. We're monsters. Huh. They're monsters. You know, so all of that. It is really just a spectacular, I thought, writing to in introduce that line into this particular scene. That's really cool. By the way, for all of you flat earthers out there or those who have kind of heard the idea that, yeah, people back in the day thought the earth was flat. Most people do not think that that was actually the case anymore. Or at least scholars and scientists and people who study some of this stuff don't think that a lot of people thought that that was the case of oh, okay. the flat earth. It's not like Columbus thought the earth was flat and proved them wrong kind of deal. Yeah. So a round earth appears at least as early as the 6th century BC with Pythagoras and who was followed by Aristotle, Euclid, and Aristocras, among others, in observing that the earth was a sphere. So by the 1st century AD, the sphericity of the earth was accepted by all educated Greeks and Romans. Okay. 
So it's not something out there. But I wanted to throw it in because when I first thought that, I thought, okay, I wonder if they're also trying to drop a people thought that the Earth was flat still kind of deal right. with the movie. But because I thought, you know, they're going to be kind of stretching it then. But it turns out with this information that I got, it wasn't necessarily the case. So I don't think the writers were really going there. I think it was really more the uncharted territories and there could be weird creatures out there that we don't right. know about. Yeah. There was also the idea, especially during kind of that 1500s or even maybe a little bit earlier, that there was almost for every land animal, a semi-equivalent to an ocean animal. So you would see on some of these maps, serpents and creatures that maybe look like pigs, because huh. that would be something that would they f- would find on land. So they would kind of have like a weird pig-like creature in the wow, water. Oh, really? Yeah. So all kinds of cool things that you would see on some of these old maps, which is, they're just artwork Well, that's what themselves. they would know for one thing. That's true. Exactly. So they didn't have they a didn't, lot of... They couldn't go diving and all the kind yeah, of... Yeah. So they saw what was washed yeah. up on shore. And you can see all of the crazy things that wash up on shore. And they turn out not to be so crazy. But because of decomposition or that the way that the organs or things have been spread out yeah it really looks like this bizarre unidentified creature which can give rise to all these other sea creature things like you know whales or giant squids that pop up people start to go okay that's a kraken or that's some kind of weird beast right in general though my whole point it's a great line from barbosa to say the least and crazy symbolic for them and at the time and i really do just absolutely love this line yeah and he gives it with his crazy eyes (laughs) oh i didn't notice the crazy eye part I was so focused on the line, I didn't see the crazy eyes. Like really close to Jack, and because they were, you know, had their swords together. Yeah, and he's got his crazy eyes as he's telling Jack. See, that even makes it better. It is. The monster, yeah, Yeah. so much symbolism with that. So if we can move along from Barbosa, we can actually jump into Will Turner. Not jump into Will Turner. Well, I guess that's better than saying jump on Will Turner. So, anyways, we're going to talk about (laughs) Will Turner. We have to mark this as the time that. Well, this is the minute that Will sees his first skeleton and then realizes, yes, Elizabeth's not a crazy woman. Yeah. I know that he probably believed her, but did he really believe that there were walking skeletons? You could think that, okay, they might think that there's a curse and there's something crazy going on, but did he really think that there were skeletons running around? Eh, It's hard to say. Yeah. I doubt it. Now he sees that because he does give a good step back and he gives that what the hell look. He pauses before taking action, which is this holy cursed Batman scenario, but then realizes he has to fight. There's no getting out of it. And so he kind of recovers. Yeah. But he even pauses longer than Gillette Gillette and the crew on that. He is actually like, what is this? Yeah. Which I like. But the problem I have is that he ends up punching skeleton Jacoby right in the face. And the sound is the same effect that they would use when punching someone in the face with flesh on it. Shouldn't it be more of a crack or bone crunch since his fist connects with hard bone? Not like a punch, like a regular punch that you'd see in all the other movies that they use as a sound effect. Right? Yeah, probably. You can't have it be the same. The same punch that you'd hit with somebody. Yeah. They could have tightened that up a bit. Yeah. Instead of just dropping in a punch sound, they could have put in a little crack action. Yeah. Not crack action. (laughs) Cracking bone action. I don't know what's with you today, Heather. (laughs) Not me. There's also the typical swashbuckler good luck that happens here. Since I pointed out that kind of maybe obvious punch sound effect breakdown there. But Will manages to turn and get the ropes that are binding his wrist cut by Clubba. It's like just a few millimeters and I imagine he'd be having a hook for a hand. Right? Or he'd be Edward Scissorhands because he lost both his hands. However, 
I expect that kind of luck in a pirate movie or a swashbuckler, so I think I'm going to let it go this time. Yeah. Maybe. I'll let it go. It just had perfect timing. It was. It was Absolute perfect timing perfect to get that timing. just sliced just right. We talked about Clubba before, so I won't rehash that, but we do get a close-up of Monk. He's the one Jack kicks into the water in this oh, particular yeah. minute. That's his name. And that's Pirate Monk. And steals sword and gives it to Will. Exactly. So that's Monk. That whole Monk scene where Jack kicks him into the water. Yeah. Well, actually, it's before that because I think it's really a funny Easter egg behind the scene thing. The cast and the crew, when sitting around waiting between scenes, were constantly throwing and skipping the thousands of coin props in the water, driving the set decorator nuts. And I think yeah. you told us that story. This guy, Monk, is sitting there waiting and he's skipping these coins in the water. <laughs> So I have to imagine Verbinski added this element of Monk doing this as like some kind of inside joke. Just to irritate the set decorator who had to, <laughs> come on, I had these all placed. So that's what I'm thinking. I think that Verbinski was having fun with that. Yeah. Or he was telling Monk, you got to just do something to keep make yourself look busy. Well, so I was just doing this on my points. break, so maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> Monk is played by Michael Earl Lane, and he has only three credits on his IMDb page, including this one. So... Curse of the Black Pearl, plus two others. So nothing to see here, folks. Nothing that was really pertinent to us. And those were quite a while ago, so he hasn't acted, at least that I've seen. Oh, okay. I don't want to stray too far into screenwriting stuff. However, I did want to point out that this is the part of the movie where all of the stories are starting to get wrapped up as we approach the exciting climax of the movie. Elizabeth, Barbosa, Will, and Jack are all engaged in their plans. The Dauntless crew is fighting pirates. Governor Swan is hiding in the captain's quarters. But all the story elements and individual plot points driving the characters are really culminating for an ending coming up. And they're wrapping up all their stories, or at least they're moving towards that direction. It's not like you have Elizabeth just kind of hanging out in the captain's quarters still. She's actually no. actively moving yeah. to do her part. So everything's getting tied up, or at least moving that direction. So we know that Something's things are coming, coming close to an end. <gasps> That's sad. But we still have episodes to go, so don't shed too many tears yet. Everyone... Still have a ways to pony this out, so stick with us. Pony it out? Yeah, pony it out. Okay. Oh, did I mention the pirate repeatedly stabbing the Marine with the bayonet in the last minute? Yeah. That's right. I just wanted to end on an exciting pirate <laughs> note. Not a screenwriting or story note. And everybody out there, you're welcome. Really? Pirate last minute, though. I had to say it. Pirate stabbing bayonet action. What's a better way you to end than that? fighting in this minute. Yeah, but just saying sword fighting, when everybody now has the visual of that poor Marine just laying there and that pirate just going to town with the bayonet. Not good. No. Happy dreams, everybody. So are you ready to get out of here? I'm ready. Let's go club hauling. One of my other favorite lines. Okay, let's They're go. They're club hauling. Okay. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 114 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Where's that grog? At the Pirate Festival. Oh, yeah. Let's get out of here. Heather! Heather! Pliny, she always disappears right after the show. Get me my grog, she says. Probably at the Faithful Bride Tavern. Again. Heather, are you in there? Bring me my grog, you scurvy barkeep. Mother's love. What are you doing in here? You always take off before telling everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. So get on with it, Savvy. I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. That means no. I know what it means. It means you're getting another rum, and I'm thanking the listeners. Thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, 
Give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we'd greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. You just might feature your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. If you're interested in best of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are on blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy. Now get out of here, you filthy bilge rats. (laughs) 